This episode of Overthinking Movies contains spoilers for Space Jam and Space Jam A New Legacy. And if you have nostalgia and love for Space Jam, I'm sorry, but we do not hold back on how well Space Jam has aged. Welcome back to Overthinking Movies. I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hain. I've got overthinking co-host Zach here with me again. Say hi, Zach. Hi. He sounds enthusiastic as always, and he should be. Uh, this is uh, quite an interesting topic we've got today. I assume many of you, uh, which also includes uh, Zach and I, grew up with the movie Space Jam and have a lot of nostalgia for it. And the announcement of a sequel was kind of odd. I never really expected something like this, but then again... Reemergence of nostalgic movies and reboots and sequels is just par for the course. I was interested, but cautiously, because I hadn't seen Space Jam in a long time, and the internet over time began to turn on the movie. I always wanted to go back to it and see if it really held up to that scrutiny, or if it's still like this, you know, this classic I loved as a kid. So Zach and I were like, sure, the new Space Jam's coming up, uh, let's just dive in and watch Space Jam again, see how it goes, and, uh, help us prepare for the new one. And so we started Space Jam. I remember my first reaction and it was a common reaction I had during our watching of it, uh, was me loudly yelling, what? Because Space Jam is a very strange movie. It's a very cynical movie. It's a, frankly, very bad movie. And it makes a lot of strange, awkward decisions made purely to fill out its runtime. And one of those weird decisions is that we start the movie with a flashback scene to Michael Jordan as a child practicing hoops, which on its own, I guess, isn't necessarily a bad idea. It's more just in the context of this is a movie about Michael Jordan playing basketball with Looney Tunes. I don't understand why this movie needs to also be a biography about Michael Jordan's life. Yeah, the Looney Tunes are what I would assume was marketed the most, but this movie is far more about the basketball players than the Looney Tunes. Which is the strangest thing, because if, the, of course, the majority of the movie is set up getting to the basketball game, and that ends up being a massive flaw, because you're kind of waiting for the Looney Tunes to show up, and most of the movie is Michael Jordan getting to that point, as well as scenes with other basketball players, and they're all real basketball basketball players and that also means their acting is atrocious but i mean you know it's like you know it's just it's basketball players they're 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 not trained in this and on the other hand even though people give a lot of flack to michael jordan's performance in the movie yes he's bad but it's not just him it's clearly a bad script that he has to read off of the lines he's saying are bad so it doesn't help that he himself cannot act i had a theory I think they figured out Michael Jordan is not a good actor, so they wanted to give him lines where he wouldn't have to act or show emotion. Michael Jordan's reactions to everything in this movie are so downplayed. He gets kidnapped by the Loon Tunes. He's just like, okay. He sees the Monstars. Are these the guys I'm playing against? He gets kidnapped and forced to play basketball for the Looney Tunes, and he just goes, sure. He doesn't question a single thing that is going on ever in this entire movie. He also has no character arc or motivation. Everything just sort of happens to Michael Jordan and he just goes, okay, 
There's nothing to really have stakes in. or I mean, there's stakes for the Looney Tunes because if they lose the game, they become slaves. But for Michael Jordan, he's just kind of there the whole movie, which doesn't help when many of the scenes are just kind of him with these other characters and the other, and like everybody's bad in this movie like it's not just the the athletes it's the well-known actors like Bill Murray's in this movie and Wayne Knight's in this movie and they're usually very you know strong comedic actors and how they're directed here just makes them they look like they don't care or they just come off obnoxious like Wayne Knight who feels like he's improvising almost his entire performance or Bill Murray who just looks so tired I can't blame Bill Murray no, because in fact, and Zach pointed this out to me while we were watching it, Bill Murray has barely enough screen time in this movie to constitute a cameo, but he actually has a character arc while Michael Jordan doesn't. I think he's the only one to have one. It's, it's not much of a character arc. They're playing golf and Bill Murray says, hey, I want to play basketball. Michael Jordan goes, no, you cannot play basketball. You're bad at it. Bill Murray gets to play basketball at the end and he doesn't make the game winning shot obviously, but he does get to have his moment in the spotlight. He gets to have a fulfilled arc. One that probably lasts a total of a minute, but a minute of an arc in this movie is the longest. Nobody goes through anything in this movie. <laughs> it all just kind of happens. One of the other like major parts of this movie that they decided needed an extreme focus was, as we said, the focus on the other basketball players, because Part of the story, as you know, as many of you probably know, is that they absorb the powers from uh, famous basketball players and put them into the main villains. And you're like, okay, so now the basketball players lost their talent. But the movie decides this is a crucial plot point that we need to pay attention to. So we constantly cut back to comedic scenes of these basketball players going to therapy and uh, dealing with the fact that they lost their basketball powers. And I, I assume the joke is supposed to be that we're seeing these famous basketball players in these ridiculous situations, but it all just ends up being rather boring and unfunny and feels like it's just there to pat out the movie, which is already very short. Speaking of the comedy in this movie, I've seen bad comedy movies before. This goes far beyond a bad comedy movie. There's just moments where it takes my brain way too long to realize, oh, that was supposed to be a joke. Not only do I not laugh, I don't even notice when the movie's trying to be funny. So a crucial problem with this movie is that the Looney Tunes aren't funny. And one thing that uh, Zach and his brother Alec noted to me as we were watching it was, the writing almost feels like someone writing fan fiction of how they think the Looney Tunes talk instead of something that actually feels like the genuine Looney Tunes. The energy of the Looney Tunes felt off the entire movie for me, and nothing even came close to how I felt any of them would act in that situation. And this is something that's very hard to explain, but I think the animation in this movie is actually poor. And what do I mean by that? Because if you just look at it at face value, it's very clean, and it looks smooth and like the classic Looney Tunes from a distance, but pay close attention to the slapstick scenes or just some of the angles, or just some of the way certain characters are drawn. The slapstick always is like, everything feels lethargic and off-sync. It's very odd and slow and unappealing to look at. Because the other aspect to this is that it was based off of a series of commercials back in the day of Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes playing basketball that became so popular they spun it off into this movie. So it feels like a movie that's trying to stretch a commercial into 80 minutes instead of trying to actually tell the story of a movie with characters and arcs and purpose. 
So you're spending most of it waiting for the basketball match. And then when the basketball match comes, it has its own myriad of problems in it and it's just not very fun to watch. One of the main problems is that the movie never establishes that the Looney Tunes even know how to play basketball. Like, you'd think there'd be a scene of Michael Jordan teaching them. It just, like, what, I barely remember. Like, it's implied, I think, but then they just cut to the game or something? The closest we get is there is a scene where Michael Jordan says, let's do some drills. We don't see the drills, but Michael Jordan tells them to do drills. I'm pretty sure the Looney Tunes know the rules of basketball, but yeah, we never see them actually playing it until the basketball game and even then the basketball game itself i thought i was thinking to myself the entire time well this has to be what makes this movie worth it now there is about maybe a minute of it when the looney tunes actually act like looney tunes during the basketball game and that's a little bit fun but they don't get to do it for very long I only watched it a few days ago and I can barely remember so much of it because it was, it feels like a bad trip that is unpleasant and feels gross to watch. Most of the movie doesn't even matter either, which also makes it hard to remember. Remember the scene where Bugs and Daffy have to go and get Michael's basketball gear? Remember how much that matters? There's no connection between scenes, which I think is... The most damning thing about this movie. Brendan said it earlier. We get so many scenes of the basketball players after they lose their talent. And it's like, we don't, we don't need to see this. We don't need to see Charles Barkley playing street basketball against some random kids and then getting told to leave. It meant nothing. We don't need to see the basketball players going to therapy. I, I think the therapy was supposed to have a bunch of jokes, but they were so nonsensical. It took me a while to realize... Oh, this was comedic. Well, it was also because the performance of the basketball players just had the mumbling a lot. Yeah, they were very hard to understand. And the big finale at the end with, like, Michael Jordan, they, like, set up that, oh, he Bugs tells him that he, he needs to be more toony. He's in the Looney Tunes world. He needs, he needs to be more toony to win, so he ends up stretching his arm out to, to dunk the basketball. But the problem with this whole setup is that earlier in the movie... Michael Jordan does have something happen to him that is toony. Yeah, the Monstars come when they are, I would say, practicing. They never practice in this movie. The Monstars then start to ball up Michael Jordan, and they dribble him like a basketball, and he's bouncing all around, and they throw him, and he suffers, like, no pain from this. His body's not broken. He's perfectly fine. That is a toony moment with a live-action character that Jordan, I guess... Like, because that scene didn't matter, Jordan doesn't remember it. And here's the thing. I've heard a lot of talk about the new Space Jam and how many people seem to prefer the first one. And I'm not sure if that's just based on nostalgia. Because if your reason for saying Space Jam 2 is bad is because it's a cynical cash grab, people, wake up. Space Jam 1 was a cynical cash grab. It was based off of a marketing scheme that they then just tried to spin off into a movie and a movie that was made with very little effort. Like, this film had, like, not even the bare minimum put into it. It is, like, straight up bad. <laughs> and I came out of the credits with a sickening feeling. And part of that was because of the quality of the movie, but the other part of that was because this thing I had nostalgia for just came back and basically spit in my face. <laughs> so when Space Jam 2 was coming up in the next day, I... 
I didn't know where to set my expectations because, I, I mean, the reviews were already bad for Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. I went into this expecting, hoping something could be a little better, and, well, Space Jam A New Legacy, as it turns out, is a better movie than Space Jam, but only by default because it follows the basic fundamentals of how to tell a story. But, like, don't get me wrong, it's not a good movie. I went into this experience, and the only thing going through my mind was, how does this compare to the first one? Compared to the first one, this was a more positive experience. Yeah, we want to clarify that because it's going to sound like we're being really positive to Space Jam 2, and it's more because Space Jam 1 we had just watched and our experience with it was so bad that the positives in Space Jam 2 felt bigger than they probably were if I, we just watched it on its own. I was cheering this movie because LeBron has an arc. That is how low my expectations were. LeBron has a full character arc, and on top of that, LeBron's acting is decent, and the other basketball players in the movie when they show up are also decent, because Space Jam 2 is aware that Space Jam 1 exists, and it, many times, it actually comments on the flaws of the original movie and tries to improve upon them. Because there's a full-on line where they bring up that having basketball players act in a movie isn't a good idea. And they actually break the fourth wall by doing that, but then also have basketball players in the movie that give decent performances. The main kind of crux of the story is that uh, LeBron James has a son who wants to be a video game designer, and he's already quite a talented one. But LeBron wants him to play basketball, and, and the kid feels like LeBron isn't letting him be who he wants to be. And as I'm explaining this, you have absolutely heard this plot a million times before. And it's not executed amazingly here at all, but it at least follows through and feels like a true story and arc that ties the movie together. There's a lot going on in this movie, and it's thankfully never really confusing. It all kind of is pretty straightforward. The main villain is an evil computer AI played by Don Cheadle, who wants LeBron James because he is the king. So, so let me get this right. It was like the AI wanted LeBron James because he wanted him to be in his movies? He wanted LeBron James to star in movies as, I guess, sort of like a marketing tool. They show LeBron James in all these movies, and LeBron James has pretty much the reaction I think everybody else would. And Algy Rhythm is upset by this because he thought it would be really cool to just put LeBron James in the most random stuff because he has a lot of Instagram followers or something. S something like that. There's a lot of modern references in this movie that uh, most of the time do not hit at all. That was definitely something we expected going in. The movie really, really wants you to know that Warner Brothers owns a lot of things. This movie has constant references to Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, and The Matrix. I'm not really sure why they decided to put this in. It, I mean, I guess just I guess just out of cynicism, maybe to create some sort of Warner Brothers cinematic universe, but they already have a number of those already, so I'm not sure what the purpose was here besides just to show off. I will at least give them credit that it makes the audience more interesting than the first movies. But then at that point, it just becomes a game of, I know that character. Oh, that's another character I know. <gasps> 
it's Fred Flintstone. He's watching the Space Jam. Yeah, because once we get to the basketball game, uh, for plot reasons, all of these cartoon characters and other movie characters at Warner Brothers Zones become the audience for the basketball game. So even when Zach and I were unengaged in what was happening in the basketball game, we were able to look in the background and go, oh, hey, it's Pennywise. Oh, hey, it's it's Dino Mutt's, like, just to give us something to focus on. It's 1960s Joker. <laughs> for some reason. Some of the references to their other properties, some of those were okay. Like, I actually got a chuckle out of Foghorn Leghorn riding a Game of Thrones dragon wearing a wig. That one caught me so off guard, I couldn't help but laugh. I also liked the Roadrunner and Mad Max. I was like... Uh, okay, that I actually really like that one. Yeah, I forgot that Warner Brothers owns Mad Max, so there's a part of Mad Max Fury Road with Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote in it, which, yeah, that was kind of a cute idea, and they looked neat, kind of, these hand-drawn cartoon characters against that live-action backdrop. And yeah, it's cynical, because it's like, they know everybody loves Mad Max Fury Road, so they're just, like, shoving it in this Space Jam movie, but it was an entertaining scene. Better than the one with the Matrix. At least Roadrunner and Mad Max made sense in a Looney Tune style. And it's not just that. The Matrix scene where they had like, what was it? Grandma and Speedy Gonzalez doing slow motion Matrix things. It made me go, wait, why is this happening in 2021? They were doing Matrix references that like were popular to parody in like 2001 and 2002. Why is this weird, outdated stuff here? And there is, like, a plot reason, technically, because Granny does a Matrix move during the basketball game, but I don't understand the point of any of this besides just reference comedy. Yeah, I think that's all it was at the end. Although, to talk more about the plot, I did kind of like the idea that it was LeBron James versus his own son in basically Dom's, uh, LeBron James' son's basketball game. I thought that was kind of a fun idea. It allowed the basketball to be more than just a regular game of basketball like it was in the first movie. Right. It had its own sort of added on rules that made it sort of interesting. I mean, eventually it really just became, you know, there were no rules. <laughs> they just have to get the ball in the basket. Yeah, but there's at least like some connection because it's Dom's game and LeBron has to play in it. And there is like some kind of emotional attachment in both movies. The tunes do not start off loony in the basketball game. In Space Jam 1, there is no reason for this. In Space Jam A New Legacy, there's kind of a reason, but it's really weak. Because LeBron James says, You have to play the game regularly, despite the fact that everybody's lives are on the line, including the life of my son. At the very least, during these scenes, oh my god, we actually see LeBron James train the Looney Tunes on how to play basketball. In fact, we get a number of scenes of them training, and they're actually like good scenes with decent comedy. Honestly, I thought them training was more fun than the actual basketball game itself. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I agree with that. It, th those scenes had some decent creativity to them. It also helps that, and this is this is the thing I hated most about this movie. Like, there's a lot of things to dislike about it, but remember, I was watching it, just comparing it to Space Jam 1, so I kind of liked it because it did things better. But the one thing I will not stand, I will not tolerate, they should not have switched to CG for the basketball game. Yes. So when the Looney Tunes first show up, they actually have them hand-drawn, like in the first movie, and their animation's way better than in the first movie. It's fast, it's snappy, the slapstick has good timing. A lot of scenes of them and 
LeBron James, who also becomes cartoony. Uh, there's a lot of decent stuff going on there. And then when we actually get to the basketball game, the main villain decides the Looney Tunes need an upgrade. So he turns them into CGI Pixar looking characters. And it doesn't work, one, because those designs don't look great. The Looney Tunes look unnatural in that style. And it's not, and that's not to say the Looney Tunes can't look good in CG, but these particular designs just do not look appealing. And whatever reason, the animation just doesn't look as smooth. Like it just feels like the instant it happens, they lose half of that visual appeal from when they were hand drawn. They could have done something cool where we'd see the 2D animated Looney Tunes up against the 3D animated monsters. I think that would have been fun to watch on a style perspective. That could have allowed for a lot of creativity. Exactly. And when I tried to bring that up to people, they were like, well, that would have been more expensive to animate them that way. And I'm like, so? They're clearly putting so much money into this movie. Why don't they do that? Is that really their best excuse? Like, oh, the, the major corporation doesn't have enough money to, to make this the best that it can be. Maybe they could have saved some of that money by not putting in every Warner Brothers character possible in the audience. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cut out all the scenes of them in Harry Potter world and Matrix world and instead focus into the animation budget of the Looney Tunes would have been so much better. I don't even understand why the movie starts off with the Looney Tunes not together. It, I get it was probably just so they could have all these fun and wacky scenes of here's the Looney Tunes in different Warner Brothers properties, but they never give a good reason beyond just, I think Algae Rhythm told them, hey, you could go to other places, and then they did, but why? It's an excuse to pad out the movie so that they would have them run across the different areas to show off all these different properties, but also kill some time until the basketball game. But yeah, it feels like a cynical excuse just to show off all of these Warner Brothers things that they own and be like, remember this? I guess it was also part of giving Bugs a character arc, something he doesn't have in Space Jam 1. But it's one that really doesn't fit Bugs Bunny, because we see him all alone in Toon City or whatever it's called. And he's made, like, a pumpkin version of Porky Pig, and I'm watching this going, why do this for Bugs Bunny? Why have to make us wait to see the Toon characters? Because the movie is about family with the connection between LeBron James and his son, so they also have Bugs Bunny having an arc about being alone and needing his family to have that connection between LeBron and Bugs. I mentioned that there's a lot of times the movie uh, makes references to the original Space Jam, and there is a moment where it seems like the movie's going to build up to have a cameo from Michael Jordan, but then it just turns out to be this joke of, oh, it's not Michael Jordan, it's Michael B. Jordan, the actor. And, and it's a very long, not funny scene of just like, oh, we got the wrong actor, and it's like, it doesn't matter to people that don't know who Michael B. Jordan is, and then he leaves, and it's like, okay, so are they going to have Michael Jordan show up later in the the movie to make up for that scene no he never shows up so i felt like the movie did a decent enough job building up the basketball game and then having the the game have some decent stakes to it and then they win the game and the father and son get back together but the stakes end up being that bugs bunny dies and the second that this happened zach and i just looked at each other like uh, yeah but he's not actually dead like this whole scene doesn't matter because it feels like it's actually going to matter because then they have a later scene of bugs bunny 
back in the hand-drawn world being held by his friends as he passes away into the sky. And then literally in the next scene, he shows up back to LeBron being like, I'm good now. I mean, Bugs Bunny does make a callback to an earlier scene where he said, hey, I'm a tune. We're basically indestructible. Set up and pay off, I guess. I guess, but then why do they put so much emotional drama on it if his dying doesn't matter because he's indestructible? For comedy, I guess? I'm so sick and tired of movies doing this. Nobody believes you're actually going to kill them off. I will take all the sports cliches. Just stop doing this emotional manipulation. Yeah, stop sacrificing characters unless you actually plan to do something with it. But when that happened and Bugs then immediately came back and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then the credits rolled. While when I saw the credits of Space Jam 1, I felt this inner disgust inside of my body. When I saw the credits of Space Jam 2, I was like, okay, well, that happened. <laughs> it certainly was better than Space Jam 1, but that's not even really a contest. <laughs> I think Hollywood has, they've gotten better at making something competent that people will still dislike because it's just competent and it's nothing more. The Hollywood writers know what they're doing when it comes to just making a plot that'll work, but very rarely seem to know what actually makes people invested or genuinely care. They just see other movies do certain things, and they go, well, maybe if we follow these patterns, this will create a plot that people will care about and people will come see our movie, and it's like, eh. It's not that really, really bad movies don't still exist. It's more that... Most of the time, and this is a topic I'd like to sort of discuss in a future episode, most of the time modern Hollywood has figured out almost like a formula of how to manufacture a movie that is fine. That hits all the notes that generally make up a movie that we are familiar with and comfortable with and ships it out. And the movie happens, you watch it, and then you forget about it. And it doesn't have much of an impact because they never try harder than hitting that bar. Now, the Marvel movies, of course, go above the standards set by either of the Space Jam movies, especially Space Jam 1. Many of them always seem to hit this level, this general level of acceptability and adequateness without ever going above and beyond. Yeah, not to trail too far off topic, but I've been watching Loki, and I also watched WandaVision and... Falcon and Winter Soldier, and each time I finished it, Brandon would be like, how were they? And I'd always give the same response. They were fine. That just seems to be the place where Hollywood just seems to like it. I think Brandon used the right word when he said manufacture. These movies are not made with care or attention. They are made of parts. Here's the part where this happens, because this is a thing that happens in movies. You got this part, and then we put this part here, and we put that part there. It comes off as something that has no real cultural impact anymore. It's just repeating something we already know and then fading away forever. Would you rather watch a genuinely bad movie or would you rather watch something so safe that you'll just forget it? In the case between these two, I think I prefer... Well, I don't think I know I prefer Space Jam A New Legacy simply because Space Jam 1 was that incompetent. But it, it sort of depends on a case-by-case -case basis. Like, is it interestingly bad? Because I would rather watch The Happening than either of these movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd watch Troll 2 any day of the week over any of these films. It's certainly a thing, but Troll 2 is a case of that 
director really wanted to make that movie and he really thought he was making a great movie. Same with The Happening. They were genuine products made by people that were really trying to go for something, but they were done with such incompetence that it ends up creating something both genuine and awful that's fascinating to watch. While Space Jam A New Legacy focused on the nostalgia of its original property, commenting on it, making the necessary improvements without going anywhere above that to improve upon the original, and it certainly could have been worse, but definitely isn't something that I can recommend. And hey, who knows, Zach, there's probably gonna be a lot of kids that watch Space Jam A New Legacy and are like, this is awesome, and maybe it becomes one of their favorite movies growing up, just like how we liked Space Jam. And then there's going to be a Space Jam New New Legacy, and they're going to look at that movie like, this is a cynical cash grab. I remember a new legacy, and that was a real movie. But on that sad note of not recommending anything, uh, hopefully things will be better in the weeks to come. I'm not sure what's to be expected. I can't say there's a lot of new releases I feel a lot of excitement for, but hey, I'm happy I was able to sit through these with friends and pick them apart. So as always, thanks for joining me, Zach. Hey, realizing your childhood was a lie is always easier with friends. If you have feedback or suggestions for movies or movie topics you'd like us to cover, please send those to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. For more episodes of Overthinking Movies, as well as the other podcasts made by my team of talented co-workers, you can check those out at goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, and wchecks1055.com. Overthinking Movies is also available on Spotify and Google Podcasts and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. And if it's not, let us know. Instead of watching either of these movies, I'd recommend watching, I don't know, Roger Rabbit or the Looney Tunes show or even just the old Looney Tunes cartoons. That's all, folks.